You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. It's a pleasure again for me to bring the word to you this morning. I was here at the very beginning of the stages of this church, and I'm so excited to see just where it's gone, how God has grown, and how many people have come in. So that is excitement for me. And just where you guys are headed, I am going to be amazed at what God's going to do. So this morning, um, go with me. We're going to go take a little trip down a few roads, um, and I'll take us where God wants us to go. Pray with me for just a moment. Father, we ask for your spirit, we ask for your power, that you would be present, that you would make my words clear, and that they would be your words, not my own, that your power would speak to your people, would elevate the name of Christ above all other names, that you would stand glorious uh, when all is said and done. In Christ's name, amen. And so our first text this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 11 to 13. And that's really a popular text that we all know. It's, it's when Jesus explains how to pray. And we usually use that to pray. And so central to that text is the idea that God is Father, right? And that his children kind of rely on him to provide for him. And one of the ways that text goes is that he provides for us physically our food. We need him to do that for us to live. And he also provides for us spiritually forgiveness. And we need that to live spiritually. But also another aspect of that is that we need him to provide for us a freedom from temptation so that we don't fall into temptation and we need him to deliver us from evil. And that's the way, and the way it's written can sometimes be confusing in Matthew 6. It can be confusing because the question that comes with that, well, is God leading us into into temptation? Is God leading us into sin, right? And the short answer to that is no. I'll give you an example on some of the ways that we think about it. Um, the other day, I went to a meeting, came back with some donuts from the meeting, and my two-year-old son is there, and he sees he knows the Dunkin' Donuts box. I don't know. Of all things, he knows it. And so he's, like, scraping to get to it. You know, I, I sit him on the counter, I open the box, and I put the donut just out of his reach. <laughs> all right? And he's, like, you know, he's trying his little hands, and he gets a little bit of it, and he licks it, and it's like, oh, this is so good. And sometimes we think that's what God does, that he puts sin or something tasty or yummy that we really want just out of our reach, and he says, no, like, it's not for you, right? Don't, don't touch that. But he's a better father than that, right? God does not do that. And so walk with me with what that Psalms or that Matthew 6.13 means, what God means when he says, deliver us from temptation, right? Don't lead us there, but deliver us from evil. In James 1.13, if we know that it does not mean that God puts in us or puts us in positions where we are tempted to sin, that he does not, that God cannot himself be tempted by evil, and that he tempts no one towards evil, that God does not tempt you towards evil. And the question is, well, why doesn't he? Well, simple answer, he's God right? He would not fail if he tempted us to sin. He would never fail. He never fails at anything. And so if God moved towards evil, we would experience doom after doom after doom because God would always succeed at that. So temptations to sin and cannot come from God. He is light. He only brings good things. He only gives you 
good gifts. That is him as a father. He cannot do evil. He does not do such a thing, nor does he entice us to such a thing. And so then what does it mean for that to happen? What does it mean then for us to not be led into temptation? The word temptation there is the same word really as testing, this idea of being tested. And there are two types of testing we want to talk about, the kind that God does and the kind that Satan does. So keep that in mind. There's two. We'll talk about the two. So let's spend some time looking at the one that God does. And that's good for you and it's needed. And the kind that Satan does, the kind we don't want to deal with. God will, at times, bring your faith to the test. It will, he will use difficult situations to test your faith, situations that will call you or will call on you to trust him instead of taking matters into your own hands, which will lead to questions like, will you trust his promises in the middle of this? Will you rely on his power to do what he says he's going to do? Will you cast your cares upon him? Will you wait for him? So when God brings his testing, those are the questions, those are the types of questions that will come up to you. Are you going to wait or will you take this into your own hands, your own power? Now, God doesn't just test us in times of difficulty or lack or, or even hardships. God will also test your faith during times of plenty and during times of pleasure, times of greatness, times of, of growing and excitement, right, and, and gifting. And the question there will be, will you count the gift? more valuable than the giver? Will you run with the gift? Will you take it and make it your priority over the person who gave it to you? Will you be thankful instead of prideful? Will you hold on to God as more valuable than anything in your life? Or will you count something else worth more than the gospel? God uses these trials so then both good and bad for his own purposes. And at times, we're not always clear about what those purposes are. Like Job and his suffering, he was unsure, right, at times of what is the purpose of what's happening. But during times of these testing, God provides a strength and wisdom to go through it and to bear underneath it. And it's always, and I repeat, it is Always to build up your faith, to strengthen your foundations, to establish you, right? It's always like that. It is never, ever to tear you down and always for you to see the power and the glory of God displayed, to increase your reliance upon him. So when God tests you, when he's done with you, it will be like gold refined by fire. Your faith would have matured. Your reliance on him would have strengthened. Your foundations would be more secured. So we want him to do this. You want him to do this. Let's look at an example in Exodus 14, verses 1 and 2. Here's an example. So walk with me down this picture. I want to give you an example of how this happens. The Israelites are headed in the right direction. As God told them, go down this way, and they're doing exactly what he says to do, right? But here comes a word from God telling Moses, turn a different way and wedge Israel between this ocean or between the sea and one exit, right? This is not the kind of place you would want to put yourself when you're trying to escape from people who are trying to kill you, right? It's just not the way you'd want things to go. But at God's command, Israel does exactly what they're told to do. 
Exodus 14, 8 and 9, what do we find? God turns around then and talks to Pharaoh and pulls on his heartstrings and hardens him. And it says, look at Israel over there, stuck in that little place. What are you going to do about it? And so Pharaoh turns up and attacks Israel. He ever thought in your life, ever had a moment where you were following God, where you had prayed, you had sought wisdom, you had, I mean, done everything the Bible tells you to do, and you really felt like God was leading you into a specific direction, and you get there, and you're excited, and craziness happens, right? And you're like, wait, did I not hear from God? Because why, why is all this craziness happening when I thought God was leading me into this place, when I thought he brought me here? And this is exactly what happens here. Here's Israel. God spoke very clearly. They did exactly what he said, and now they're being attacked. And the trouble seems surprising. It seems unending, and that's what happens here. Following God's leading, they find themselves encamped by what seems to be insurmountable odds. But just because it gets hard doesn't mean God didn't lead you there. Just keep that in mind. So Exodus 14, 10 and 11, what happens? Here's how the people react to this experience. It says in the text that they feared greatly. They cried out in desperation to God. They even questioned Moses, right? Was your intention always to harm us? Was, were, you, were you always planning to do this, to have us killed, to lead us to this kind of evil? Wouldn't it have been better for me to stay where I was? And these are the same people who saw 10 plagues, who in one night left slavery and were freed with the riches of Egypt. These are the same people who worshiped God as he spoke promises to them through Moses. Their faith was tested, and it was found to be only as good as the next miracle. Right? You don't want to have that, and God does not want you to have that. So he brings tests along to firm and shape up your faith. And so God becomes only as trustworthy as the next problem he can solve. And the next thing he can get us out of, right, is only as good as when things are good. And he's not that good when things are not good. And this is the kind of faith Israel has. But by Exodus 14, 30 to 31, we see, we see that Israel sees the great power of God. As God opens the ocean and destroys the Egyptians. And the result is the people feared and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. This was a test that God fully orchestrated from beginning to end to form and shape Israel's faith. During this test, they fell to a particular temptation to doubt God, to doubt his prophet Moses, and were led to think that Moses and God had evil things in mind for them, that it wasn't good, right? I'm experiencing these terrible things because God doesn't have good things in mind for me. Because if he did, I wouldn't be going through this. Now, despite this fear and doubt, God is always faithful. He always delivers. He always does. This is who he is as God, Father. And so God, through Moses, saved Israel despite their lack of trust for him. It was always intended when God tests that you see his glory. You see his power. You see him firm himself up before your eyes. It's always his intentions in his testing for you to be delivered. 
And so God, through Christ, has once and for all saved us despite our lack of trust for him, right? We have seen a great display of God's power. We have seen his mighty salvation, his faithfulness, right? His trustworthiness through Jesus Christ that despite our life of sin, God in Christ saved us. A hardened heart, a rebellious soul. He loosened our heartstrings, right, and brought us into a great salvation while the world and Satan and sin came bearing down on us. So like God saved Israel through Moses, God saves us through Jesus Christ. And what do you find out? You find out when you come into the faith that the God who does not spare his son will in turn give you all things. How will he not graciously give you everything if he does, if he's willing to give up his son? And oh, he will. And oh, he has. So that leaves us with one item then. One item left. So we know that God tempts us and it's good and it's gracious and his intention is always to deliver, always to show us his power, always to build us up, always to make himself glorious. So then that leaves us with one item. What temptations or trials do we want him to keep us away from? that's the prayer. God, keep me away from, from this. So that kind of trials, the kind of trials that Satan brings, that he brings a particular kind of trials, and the purpose of it is to get you to fall into sin. And not just any sin, sin that shakes your faith is the intention. The kind of sin that is coming to you to destroy the very foundations of your faith, to make you not believe God, to make you turn away and say, how can there be a God? Look what happened, look what sin I experienced, or look what sin I did, or look what happened to me. It comes to destroy your faith with God. So then the request to keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil, is a request to God to guard us and to keep us from walking into traps that our enemy has set to destroy our faith. This is the intention. So in, in essence, it's admitting to God that we're weak. And we don't have the strength to perceive the enemy's attacks and then to avoid them on our own. That you do not have such a power. And you cannot come up against Satan and just when you are weak. And we need God to pave a road, a different route around what Satan would bring our way. We need him to keep us from falling into that kind of temptation. In Luke 22, verse 31, we're given a similar picture of what happened to Job when Satan requested. We're given a similar a picture of Satan's work in regards to bringing trials and temptations to the believer. We're given something similar. Jesus tells his disciples that Satan has asked to sift them as wheat. Literally what that means, if you know what sifting is, it's like you get this little thing and you, I had to look this up because I'm like, what is in the world? So you get this little thing, you put like weed in it and you, and you shake it violently so that it breaks down. This is the intention that Jesus says that Satan came to God requesting. I request to break down Peter. James, John, all of your apostles. I, don't, I, I literally want to bring them into a trap where they fall apart and lose what they think they have. 
But Jesus specifically speaks to Peter in verse 32, saying that I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And so Satan comes and says, I want all 12, right? Or all 11, but I guess one already, one already left. <laughs> so Satan says, I want all, all, all 11, right? And then, and then, but specifically, I want Peter, right? I want the lead. I want to crush him. If I crush him, then they'll all be crushed for sure. And so Jesus speaks to all of them and says, listen, this is what Satan has requested. And Peter, specifically for you, right? I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And what do we find later in Luke 22, 40? Jesus at the Mount of Olives, the night that he would be arrested, he warns his disciples to do what? Pray. Pray that you would avoid such a temptation. Don't, don't think you're stronger than you are. Right? Don't think you could do this without God. Pray. Pray that you would avoid. Fortunately, of course, as most people do, we fall back asleep. And the second time Jesus approaches, verses 46 and 47, right? He, by the time he comes to warns them, it is too late. The crowd comes in. And the disciples who were so confident that they would not betray Jesus, who were just so confident that same night that said they would hold on to him to the very end, who were so confident would run away when Jesus is arrested, would turn to weapons to attack other people and to fall. They fall into this entrapment set by the devil. The disciples failed to pray, and so they were left to the, to the temptation to strike back. To not trust God in this moment. To not even avoid the whole thing at all. Jesus is saying, pray that you would even avoid this whole thing completely. It would take for Jesus to later come and speak to Peter after he has denied Christ three times to restore him. Peter's faith had been shaken to the core. Broken. And some of you have been through things like that, like Peter. And by that I mean Satan came with intentions to destroy your faith, to destroy any and every remaining piece of relationship that you would have with God. And he led you into a trap, right? And you fell and you fell hard. And it's a place of shame, a place of guilt, a place that as you pursue your relationship with God, right, it keeps coming back up and you start thinking about it and you think that God somehow loves you less or you're not, you're, you're not as far in a relationship with him as you can be. And here's what you need to know. Satan had asked to sift you as wheat, but Christ prayed for you. See, your relationship, your standing with God is based on whether Christ prays for you or not. That's what I want you to see, that the disciples were able to be firm and maintain their faith, not by their prayers, not by their abilities, not by their strength, but whether Christ had done, the, had done everything necessary to secure them. And he has. Christ has prayed for you. And God was faithful through Jesus Christ to save his disciples as he is faithful in Jesus Christ to save you today. So no, that place of shame, that place of Guilt, that's a place where Satan won that one battle. Don't dwell there. It would make no sense for us to pay attention to one lost battle while the war is, <laughs> the war is raging and we are winning. Christ has won. Like you 
in Christ Jesus as one. God has been faithful. He has secured you. The fact that you are even still in the faith is proof that Jesus prayed for you. But what do you do then if you find yourself in that kind of a situation right now, right? That kind of testing where, where Satan has brought up against you a trap. Your back is up against the wall, and it's, you seemingly are seen trapped in temptations, uh, are pressing in, and you, you, you're looking at things. They're not, they're not looking so good, right? And, 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 you, and you're questioning God, and you're questioning where things are going. What do you do when you find yourself there? And we don't have to wonder, which is the beauty of Scripture. It's because Jesus, the way, and our example went through the same thing. In Psalms 22, verse 1 to 5, Jesus, having followed everything God told him to do perfectly, no error, finds himself on the cross, finds himself suffering, finds himself beaten, finds himself on the cross dying, waiting for God to deliver him while Satan is screaming at him, save yourself. Get off of that. Right? And that's the test. Who will you believe? Who will you trust? Who will you hold on to? Right, that's it. So what do we do? Sometimes at the end of a sermon, you got to give people things to do. Or else they'll be like, I don't know what he was talking about. So, <laughs> so let me give you two things you can do. And those two things we find in Jesus in Psalms 22, verse 1. One to, one to two, let's look at that. The first thing Jesus does is he recounts to God all of the things that he's experiencing. He's honest, right? He shares his pain. He brings it up. He is faithful with his words. He's faithful with his questions. He says he lacks rest, right? He does not withhold from God where he's at. Not at all. So the first thing you want to do is be honest. Be honest with your father. Right? Be clear. Share with him exactly where you are, exactly what you're experiencing, exactly what you think this test is, exactly what the temptations are. Right? Be honest. Second thing you do, we find in verse 3 to 5. Jesus, he determines in his mind, after evaluating everything and seeing where he's at, he determines in his mind a few things. One, that God is still God. That has not changed, and it will not change. He's still on the throne, right? He sits on high. No matter what I'm experiencing, he's not caught off guard. He's not weak. He's not incapable. He's not far away. He is God over me. You want to keep that. God is God over me. Second thing he recounts is what God has done in the past. Why does he do that, right? He remembers that when Israel called on God, he delivered. He meditates and recounts that when people cried out to God, God heard and he acted. He recalled and he meditated that the God who is near and who is available hears the cries of his people even at the doorstep of death. Nothing hinders our deliverer. Nothing holds him back. I tell this to my church and I tell it to you that for some of us, for us, for us, death is a period. For God, it's not even a comma. 
those of you with English skills, you know what I'm talking about here, right, right, right? That even at the doorstep of death, right, Jesus recounts the God who delivers. I can trust him even if I'm losing my life. And so he overcomes the greatest of tests that even at death, my God is trustworthy. So when trials come, when you find yourself being tested and God is ready to show you a gloriousness of his power, his ability to transform you, right, to build up your faith. And in the middle of that, you feel temptation to run, to not stick around and not deal with it, right, to turn to sin. Hold on. Remember that God sits on the throne. Remember that those who have called on him before he delivered, and he did it over and over and over and over again. And so when it comes to you, he will deliver. He has delivered. He will always deliver. So then pray. Pray that God would steer you clear of Satan's traps. Like that. Pray. Right? Pray that God would steer you clear of Satan's traps. So that you don't find yourself being led into a situation where you're tempted to fall. Where your faith is tempted to be shaken and to be broken. And pray that God will only allow testing into your life that you would overcome, that you would see his great power, and that your faith would be certain and secure. Lastly, if there's anything out of all of that I will leave you with, is that God, our God is faithful. Our God is faithful, He has never failed. Paul puts it this way, that he has delivered us before, and he will deliver us again. In him we have placed our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, um, as you told us, as your son told us to pray, God, keep us from evil. Do not let us fall to Satan's traps or temptations. And deliver us from all forms and all kinds of evil that he would bring. Lord, we pray for the testing that you bring, that you would give us wisdom. And that you would open our eyes to see your gloriousness and your power and your deliverance. That we would learn more and more to rely on you no matter what we are experiencing. That we would trust in your faithfulness. That we would hold on firmly to your gospel. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that rely on you that you would give us wisdom to see your great hand and your great power at work in our lives. Do this, Lord, to the glory of your name, to the glory of Christ. Amen.